0: The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Rev. Dr. Robin Myers, senior minister in one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant we go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City under the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers.
1: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 3 verses 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And and we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Herein's the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation.
2: I don't mean to be pejorative with this sermon title, John's Baby Sermon, as if there's something infantile about it, but rather to suggest that whoever wrote Luke's gospel, like all the other gospel writers, has got to do something with John the Baptist that both recognizes his enormous popularity and gets him out of the way. How about a baby sermon, a kind of warm-up act for the real sermon Jesus is about to preach, you know, the Sermon on the Mount? As I've said from this pulpit far too many times, John the Baptist was a big, big, big deal. He was the Billy Graham of his day. He is one of the miracle boys, John and Jesus, born to the miracle girls, cousins, Elizabeth and Mary, one pregnancy improbable, the other scandalous, But it was John's pedigree that was impressive. So just imagine an argument in a Jerusalem pub after the death of Jesus between a couple of guys deep into their cups about who was greater, John or Jesus. The first one says, well, who was Jesus' mom? The second one answers, you know, Little Mary. Big family, decent folk, woodworkers, I I recall. But there was that whole unplanned pregnancy thing. Uh, Who was John's mom? Oh, Elizabeth, descended from a royal family, a daughter of Aaron. Granted, a barren daughter of Aaron, but at least when she got pregnant, she was married. This is a small town, you know. So who had the bigger following, John or Jesus? Well, all of Jerusalem turned out to hear John preach his hellfire message. So how about Jesus? Well, he started with 12, but the crowds did get bigger. So tell me again, how did Jesus die? Uh, crucifixion by Rome uh, with a couple of criminals on either side, how did John die? Ooh, he stuck it to a king who cut off his head and served it on a plate. Who was John's father? Oh, Zachariah a member of the Jerusalem priesthood, a fine man, but not much of a talker. And uh, who was Jesus' father? Um, Hmm. Don't know. So an old man in the corner of the bar goes, ding, 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 John wins. All round for the whole house, John or Jesus, who's bigger? That's a no-brainer. A real Turner burn preacher, that John guy, called people a brood of vipers, and they said, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> Told them to turn around before it was too late, said otherwise God would chop them off at the knees and throw them into the fire, and they said, thanks, I needed that. Told them not to start with the whole family tree nonsense, we have Abraham as our ancestor, because John said, God doesn't care if you came over on the Mayflower, you can still be dumb as a rock. Speaking of which, God can make rocks into better people than you miserable, hypocritical sinners. And they all said, thanks, we needed that. Where do we get in line to be baptized? And they did get in line. And it was a long, long line. And somewhere in that line, maybe way at the back, was Mary's little surprise package, Jesus of Nazareth. He got in line with all the other sinners which is quite a thing to think about if you don't think about it for too long, and most people don't. Then he did something very subversive. He waited. He waited as he waited knee deep in muddy water to be dunked by the wild man, his first cousin or second cousin or cousin by marriage, whatever you are when your mothers are cousins. Why did Jesus get into that line? That's the question Fred Craddock asked when he preached in this pulpit over a decade ago. Why did he get in that line? Was he just ready to leave home? He was about 30, Luke says, and so maybe he just had it in the carpenter's shop and folded up his apron, said goodbye to his family, made his way down to the Jordan River. But why? Had he heard a good sermon by the rabbi recently? Did he listen to Scripture being read aloud, and suddenly he heard his own name? Craddock says that's why all of us really listen to Scripture. That's what we're doing. We're listening to hear our own name. Or did some of the local menfolk just pass by the shop and say, Hey, Jesus, we're on our way down to John's revival. No tickets needed. You want to go? And Jesus said, Why not? And then they all sang, Shall We Gather at the River? Or maybe his mother urged him to go because she thought it was time for him to get out of the house. He had a lot of siblings, you know, but he was 30. So maybe he just got the message, it's time for you to figure this out on your own. We don't know. We will never know. But even before John baptizes Jesus, right after he calls everyone in the crowd a brood of vipers, people in the crowd do something remarkable. Instead of throwing things at him and saying, hey, I don't need this, I can be yelled at back home. They actually asked John a question as if they were not in a mood to argue over his assessment of their useless, miserable selves, but actually wanted to do something about it. They said, teacher, what shall we do? I want to pause here and confess something. This hasn't happened to me very often as a teacher. I rarely have students ask me a question like this because they're too busy asking more utilitarian questions, like, is this going to be on the test (laughs) or have you been outside, prof, beautiful day, beautiful day, perfect day to cancel class, give your students a little time to commune with nature. I've gotten used to those questions, but I seldom expected them to ask me what they should do in response to some problem that we've discussed in class. And we discussed some big problems. Of course, for starters, I never called any of my students a brood of vipers. Thought about it, but I thought, no. (laughs) The dean will be in my office immediately after class to report that I've created a hostile learning environment and that I have failed to give a trigger warning prior to talking about snakes. But seriously, it is so rare to have anyone ask what she or he can do in response to a situation we all find ourselves in. Once years ago, I was in Detroit. I preached a sermon against the arms race. really wasn't a particularly good sermon. But a young man came up afterwards and said something I've never forgotten. Instead of the usual nice sermon, Reverend, he said, So what shall we do? Well, I was a little startled, having just done my best to finish the sermon and give it. It was a kind of a call to arms. I just hadn't brought any arms to give anyone. In the awkward silence that followed, the young man said, I believed what you said this morning, so what can we do? Oh, yeah. What's amazing about John's answer is that it has nothing whatsoever to do with doctrine about being born again or sending a paycheck to John's Apocalyptic Ministries in the Desert, Inc., (laughs) or even how to become part of the Johnite movement, whatever that is, a true follower of the true teacher of righteousness, or instructions about how to become a card-carrying Essene, an elite member of the Qumran community, Even though we have no idea if John was a member of that group, scholars think maybe because the Essenes or Qumraners, as I like to call them, had withdrawn completely from anything having to do with temple Judaism. They dressed strangely, they lived out in the wilderness, and most of all, they stayed as far away from Jerusalem as possible because they thought God was about to destroy it. It was ground zero. So it would have been reasonable to assume that John was part of the Essene movement. I mean, he wears animal hides and eats bugs for God's sake. So you would expect him to just go on with the turn or burn stuff, but instead of saying, what shall you do? doesn't matter what you do. The end is near. Repent. He says, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Just like that. I wish it was a bit more complicated and abstract so we could argue about it but it wasn't. If you have two coats, you have one more coat than you need. Give your second coat to someone who doesn't have one coat, but John, I have my spring coat and my fall coat, my dressy coat, my casual coat, my downtown coat, my country coat. You brood of vipers. No excuses. Someone without a coat is more important than your excuses for having more coats than you need. Then he says, essentially, open your cupboards. Is there more food in there than you need? Give it to somebody who's hungry. Well, John, they'll just waste it or sell it to someone. I worked hard for that food. I don't want lazy people eating it. You brood of vipers. A hungry person in a world of abundance is an affront to creation. It's an insult to God. You've got two loaves of bread, somebody needs one, give one away. Any questions? Then comes the kicker. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? I mean, this is really hard for us to grasp because our tax collector, the IRS, is this faceless bureaucracy that sends us forms in the mail and frightens us from a distance. Tax collectors, on the other hand, in first century Palestine were Jews, collecting from other Jews to feed the beast that was the occupier, Rome, and then overcharging their friends and neighbors to line their own pockets. Tax collectors were despised. Think of someone you can't stand and multiply it by 10 and you've got yourself a tax collector. And to the tax collectors who got in line with Jesus to be baptized, John said, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Really? You mean don't overcharge people? I mean, how do you think we make our money? We've got families to feed, a shekel here, a shekel there. It adds up to a decent living. You brood of vipers. Get a real job and do it well or your son will grow up to be a tax collector too. Then the soldiers came to John, soldiers, and they said, what shall we do? Soldiers, mind you, the ones who swaggered on street corners and carried swords. They could have anything they wanted. If they wanted your money, they just took it. If they wanted your wife or daughter, they took her. If they wanted your right ear, they could cut it off. There weren't any body cams in those days. Remember, no Jewish Lives Matter movement. If a soldier stabbed you in the back as you ran away, nobody held a rally to chant, what do we want, justice? When do we want it now? No DA had to say you never ever stab anyone in the back when they're running away. So John said to the soldiers, do not... Extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. Really, a soldier must be thinking to himself, then what good is our power and our training? We walk around with a target on our backs, and we don't. We need a chance, just a chance, now and then, to pocket some drug money once in a while. Plant some evidence on some poor bastard we want to go to jail. And as for wages, uh, how much do you think we make on the force, John? We're just one step ahead of eating locusts and wild honey ourselves, you brood of vipers. And so it goes, the preaching of John the Baptist. Not all apocalyptic, some of it's very practical. Do not abuse power and privilege. Poverty is neither an accident, nor the fault of the poor. The truth is, then as now, the resources have all been gobbled up by a very small percentage of the population. They want more, of course. They always want more. So they cut taxes on themselves and raise them on the poor. Or if there's some judge in Texas, they declare the Affordable Care Act to be unconstitutional, you brood of vipers. Just think about it, we had managed to insure the largest number of Americans ever by placing some limits on what insurance companies could do to people. And then the true patriots stacked the courts and lay awake at night thinking, how can I make Barack Obama disappear? How can we worship again at the shrine of whatever the market will bear, even if it means people will die? The word is not unconstitutional, it should be unconscionable, you brood of vipers. Have you noticed how often in the Bible, economic issues are spiritual issues? If we ignore God's command to practice social and economic justice, can we really claim to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? And if we place our pleasure over our neighbor's most basic needs, then how can we claim to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Yesterday at 363, we fed homeless people. You know what? They'll be hungry again today. So was that a waste of perfectly good lasagna? After hours and hours of sitting and knitting those beautiful scarves, people just came by and took them. They just grabbed them and took them away. Took a look, picked out their favorite color, stuck it in their bag, and left. Now, some said thank you, and some said bless you, and some said Merry Christmas. Others snapped, don't you have anything in black? So what good did we do? According to John and later his disciple Jesus, we did what the strong are commanded to do. As the apostle Paul put it, we helped to bear the infirmities of the weak and not for our own sake, not for saying, aren't we wonderful? Now we can go home with a little less guilt, buy some more hangers, get some more clothes into these closets that are already bulging with clothes we haven't worn for years and shoes can you have too many shoes I've heard that some people have separate closets just for their shoes even whole rooms just for their shoes I can hear John say it you brood of vipers some of you may remember the movie the matrix Morpheus is John the Baptist in that movie although he dresses much better He proclaims, like John, that he's not the one but is preparing the way for the one. He tries to liberate some from the coma of their oblivion, but the problem is that life connected to the machine is a lot easier, a whole lot easier and more beautiful than life outside the matrix. Outside the matrix, the world is darkened by the very system that was created for the comfort of those inside the matrix. What's more, because once you're outside the matrix, it identifies you as a virus. It needs the comatose and the comfortable in order to feed off their energy. In return, the matrix creates the illusion of freedom, security, and life for those plugged in. And if you go outside, there's a price to pay. Just ask Colin Kaepernick or just ask John the Baptist, who are you calling a brood of vipers? Jesus picked up that line from his teacher and used it to describe scribes and Pharisees later on. Our teachers influence us. Ask both of them what it cost them to step outside the matrix. Ask yourself if you've gotten too comfortable inside a system of mass shootings, mass incarceration and routine criminal activity at the highest levels of our government. So what would John or Jesus have you do? There are times for tinkering around the edges of the system, making adjustments, but there are times for metanoia, for turning around. And that's what that word repent really means, to turn around, to look at what's happening to us, to our country, to our souls, and say, I'm gonna take my chances outside the system even if that makes me a virus. It's, it's better than being a viper. To be leaven in the loaf is better than to be a snake in the grass. Now we won't get it right, of course, and we'll still be seduced by the comforts of the matrix, but remember, John's to-do list became Jesus's to-be list, to be pure in heart, comforted mourners, the meek, those with an appetite for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted outside of the matrix for righteousness' sake, it's a new version, just like the prophets before us. Here is my hope for you and for me and for everything that draws breath on this perishing planet. May the true gift of Christmas come to each and every one of you outside of the matrix. If you don't like the way things are going, you can always ask a simple question. So what should we do? At Mayflower, we promise we have a few suggestions. And we won't call you a brood of vipers. Instead, we'll give you some leaven to hide in the loaf of this broken world, and then we will all do something very subversive, very subversive. We will wait. On tiptoes, we will wait.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers, Senior Minister of Mayflower Congregation on UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at MayflowerUCC.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. And a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.